Physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, thought the only effective way to control it was through a world government. We will analyze Oppenheimer's ideology, the most critical political debate of our time, by the way, from a prophetic perspective on this edition of The End Time Show. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. I do thank you for joining me on this edition of the End Time Show. You know, earlier this year, Hollywood produced a movie called Oppenheimer. What many folks don't know is that physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer is many times referred to as the father of the atomic bomb. He, along with many other influential people, advocated for a world government, which is very prophetic, by the way. I'm not sure Oppenheimer and his peers realized the system they advocated for would come to realization and eventually rule the world. Now, I'm going to explain this today because, like I said before, globalism and na versus nationalism it's the most critical political debate of our time. If I had one question to ask a political candidate, a presidential candidate, I would ask them, are you pro-world government or are you anti-world government? Are you going to pull us into the world governing uh, body or are you going to cut those tentacles off from that octopus that is the world governing body? That's what we all ought to be asking right now. The United Nations, the World Health Organization, will you cut the tentacles of those international world governing bodies off of the United States and us be a nationalistic government again, a nationalistic country not pulled into world government. So it's the most critical political debate of our time because you want to yield up the sovereignty of the United States? Well, that's what a globalist will do. That's what Joe Biden's trying to do. And that's why they're trying to demonize Donald Trump. I'm, I mean, I don't agree with everything Donald Trump does, but I know when he got in the office, he was trying to pull us out of world government left and right, and our economy was screaming and a lot of different things. So I'm not saying the, that Donald Trump is the answer to everything, but I know what he did in the office the first time, and so a lot of people would expect him to do the same thing or more if he were to get in a second time. So we'll have to see how all that plays out. However, the subject today is Oppenheimer and globalism. So let me first mention First Cup Coffee because it's very important that we stay, that we support companies, number one, that are non-woke, but that will help support us in our mission as well. And we've kind of teamed up with some of these guys and you know you can imagine we're essentially working around the clock to keep up with all of the prophetic fulfillments going on around the world. We, we are energized by our God-given uh, purpose but it's also nice to have a good cup of coffee every morning, right? We have first cup coffee upstairs. They're not a woke company. 
They're not trying to rewrite history, lobby to defund our military. They're a Christian-owned patriot company right here in Texas. They've got 11 different roasts. It's a really good coffee. I'm always asking Vince, which one did you make today? Um, and so go to firstcupcoffee.com, use code ENDTIME to get 10% off. If you subscribe, they'll give you an additional 10% off. Go to firstcupcoffee.com. I'm sorry, go to firstcup.com. Use code ENDTIME to get your 10% off today. Now, globalism versus nationalism. It's very important. Like I said, that is the most critical debate of our time. Globalism is the belief that the nation-state structure of the world is obsolete, i.e. the United States. That that structure is obsolete. Nations should eliminate their boundaries, i.e. what Joe Biden's doing down here on the southern border, open borders, through the process of globalization, ultimately resulting in a one-world government, creating a global state with no borders that answers to a one-world governing body. That's globalism. Nationalism is the belief that the world should consist of nation-states organized around language, uh, common culture, and similar values. So, nationalists are opposed to globalism, knowing globalism will ultimately, ultimately require the surrender of national sovereignty. So, Globalism, it's not a new concept. I mean, it's been, the roots of it are all the way back in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And the incident is recorded um, all the way back then. It happened shortly after Noah's flood. And God had told the survivors of the flood to multiply and replenish the earth. Instead, what'd they do? They built the Tower of Babel. Well, why'd they do that? Well, the people feared that there would be another flood. Even though God had given them a promise, the rainbow, as a covenant, that He would never again destroy the world by water. Not believing and trusting in God's Word, the people decided to build their own plan of salvation. So they decided to build a tower to reach into heaven so they could run up into the tower and be saved if there was ever another flood. This was the origin of man-made religion and Man, a man-made world governing body, really. In Genesis 11, 5-9, God's reaction is given to us to their plan. The Bible says, And the Lord came down to see the city of the tower. In other words, they were relying on themselves. They were building their own government rather than relying upon God, right? So, the Bible says, um, God came down to see the tower which the children of the men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, the people are one, and they have all one language, and this they began begin to do. And, no, and now nothing will restrain them from which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So this incident was the beginning of the different nations and the different languages of the world. God did not want everybody 
coming together as one. And from that time until today, world leaders have dreamed of bringing all the nations together and adopting a common language through globalism. And it's prophesied in the Bible that a world government will be formed in the times just ahead. It's actually being established right now. And it's happening right now under the effort called globalism. And again, this is not a new concept. So we're going to go back into a little bit of history now because I know that there was a, a movie come out this year named Oppenheimer. But I don't know, I think it may mention it in the movie somewhere. I haven't seen the movie. I read the article. But I think it may mention it in the movie about him talking about an international system or world government. But if you're not listening for it, you wouldn't catch it. But Oppenheimer was very much into this and some of his peers. We're going to go through some of that today. Before we do, let me mention really quick um, Birch Gold. Because a lot of, when we talk about world government all the time, I'm always looking at these central bank digital currencies and these people wanting to push these digital currencies and digital IDs on their respective populations. I mean, what it will do, it will give the government, if it's because these are programmable, it will enable the government to take more control over your finances. And so there are some concerned Americans that are diversifying their assets into gold uh, with the help of Birch Gold. There's got to be a reason why these central banks are buying up gold like there's no tomorrow. So if you want a physical asset held in maybe like a tax-sheltered retirement account, go to birchgold.com slash endtime and get your free info kit on gold. Then you also might um, have an IRA or a 401k that's been sitting around for a while. And uh, Birch Gold can help you convert that into an IRA in gold. And you don't have to pay a penny out of pocket. So go to birchgold.com slash endtime. Claim your free info kit on gold. A lot of people don't know what they're doing. So these guys are offering a free info kit. Because if digital currency becomes a reality, and I know the vast majority of nations on the earth are already looking into to rolling it out. They're in the preparation phase. Then you may wish you had some gold to fall back on. Now, let's get into Oppenheimer. Yes Magazine. They published an article called Oppenheimer's Other Project. Remember he was the father of uh, the atomic, atomic bomb? Well, his other project was world government. And now we're seeing the realization of this. So, physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, though uh, thought the only effective way to control his project and this, the atomic um, bomb efforts was through a global federal Republican government. So, in a scene in the new Oppenheimer movie, uh, it's set right after the successful 1949 atomic bomb test by the USSR. There is a brief exchange between the film's two main antagonists. Louis Strauss, he's the chair of the Atomic Energy Commission. He asks J. Robert Oppenheimer what he thinks should be done now. And international control? Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer immediately replies. You mean world government? Strauss fires back. And again, I haven't seen the movie, but from the, the articles that I've read, 
it sounds like a, just like a throwaway line or one that, um, uh, one of those accusations routinely hurled at those trying to make global institutions marginally more effective. But in this case, Chairman Strauss's, Strauss's um, epithet was spot on. The tremendous destruction of World War II. Now this is the setting here, it's just after that. Even before Hiroshima and Nagasaki prompted a radical rethinking of the world political order. In particular, the idea of world government as the solution to the problem of war. It was placed front and center in this country's foreign policy debate and argued about passionately in diners, dorm rooms, um, dinner parties, all, all across the land. People were talking about this. Remember, after World War I, they had the League of Nations. Now, after World War II, man, there is just a fervor going on. The United Nations has been established. They had the, um, the Hiroshima, bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and Russia's testing uh, atomic bombs. And so they said, well, somebody's got to manage all this. We need a world government. Well, world government was the goal before Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Well, people started talking about it all across the land. Unfortunately, however, the legions of moviegoers who buy tickets to Christopher Nolan's movie, otherwise excellent film, this summer, they had no idea that one of the leading proponents of this singular world governing idea was J. Robert Oppenheimer, the one the movie's about. So what happened after the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima? Oppenheimer threw himself into work to control nuclear weapons. And like other atomic scientists, he was fully aware that the Soviet Union would likely develop its own atom bombs in just a few years. And that time was short to prevent and kind of like an unrestrained nuclear arms race. So the movie refers to his activities as working for international cooperation, but his actual ideas were much deeper and more radical than those um, anodyne words imply. So, in 1946, one year after the United Nations Charter was signed, Oppenheimer participated in the development of a report for the Secretary of State's Committee on Atomic Energy about what might be done to control nuclear weapons. Because you can only imagine, once the United States dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, imagine all of our enemies around the world. Well, if the United States has got that, we've got to have one, right? So the report, which became known as the Atchison Lilienthal Report, but which was authored chiefly by Oppenheimer himself, proposed an international atomic development agency that would have the sole right to mine and process uranium and to run reactors of any kind. Now, this was a radical proposal, but as, it, as its authors explained, they could see no alternative. Somebody had to control the atomic weapons around the world. So these guys were proposing this international organization to do that before it's over with. Well, in 1946, Oppenheimer published an article in the New York Times Magazine explaining their proposal to the public. And the article discussed the relationship between 
peaceful and military uses of atomic energy, evaluating a couple of other ideas for controlling atomic weapons, and then discussed the proposed atomic development agency. And it is here in a section entitled Sovereignty that we come across this striking passage. Listen to this closely because I'm going to quote. Oppenheimer said, Many have said that without world government, there could be no permanent peace. And without peace, there would be atomic warfare. I think one must agree with this. Many have said that there could be no outlawry of weapons and no prevention of war unless international law could apply to the citizens of nations. Now, we don't want that here in the United States, right? We signed a Declaration of Independence. I don't want, I don't want to be controlled by any foreign entity. But the believers in a world government are willing to yield our sovereignty up to that, i.e., a Joe Biden, a globalist. That's what he's doing right now. So, Oppenheimer goes on to say that as federal law does to citizens of states, or we have made manifest the fact that international control is not compatible with absolute national sovereignty, he says, I think one must agree with this. Now, he's, he's advocating for a world government that is not compatible with absolute national sovereignty? That's a huge stretch, okay? So Oppenheimer had a totally, he was a, he was a globalist. He believed in a world governing body. He's advocating for it here back in the uh, late 40s. Well, similarly, in a January 1948 article for Foreign Affairs magazine, Oppenheimer wrote this, and I'm quoting. He said, it is quite clear that in this field, the atomic field, we would like to see patterns established which, if they were generally extended, would constitute some of the most vital elements of a new international law. Patterns not unrelated to the ideas which more generally and eloquently are expressed by the advocates of world government. Now, from the vantage point, from the vantage point of, let's say, 2023, the remarkable thing about these passages is the apparent assumption that the reader is familiar with the idea of world government. Many people didn't really understand it back then. They, a lot of people don't understand it today but they, that they were familiar with the idea of world government and arguments for it and against it, to the point where they can just be mentioned without explanation or elaboration. Now, think about the upcoming election in 2024. Are you familiar enough with globalization, with, I'm sorry, globalism and nationalism, that if you had a chance to ask a presidential candidate a question, that would be the number one thing I would ask them. Are you going to pull us into the world government, or are you going to cut the tentacles of that world government off and the United States it be America first? Nationalism. And so I don't think, I don't, I'm not sure many people really understand what's going on here, what Joe Biden's doing, and the, the efforts of a, an international banking system that produces inflation, folks. You always look at the central bank and they say, well, the Fed is fighting inflation. Folks, the Fed is creating the inflation. They're not fighting it. 
oh, they're going to up the interest rates. They're going to down the, lower the interest rates to try to fight inflation and this, that, and the other. Folks, they're printing money like there's no tomorrow. That's raising inflation. So it, once you understand some of these things, you get an idea of what's really going on in the world. So for much of the public um, in, the, in the 1940s, there was, it, this was probably true. People simply didn't understand. As remarkable as it might seem to us today, when this notion is entirely absent from the international affairs debate, people are simply just lost. They, they, they're going to, world government can, they can, their sovereignties can be yielded up to a world governing body and because they don't even understand it, they're like, well, something really is going on with the economy. I don't have a clue what's going on. I'm losing my sovereignty. I feel like the government's got a noose around my neck and they do because people don't understand what's going on. Now, the Bible talks about a world governing body. Now, not all nations are going to be involved in that, fully engaged. And we'll talk about that if we have time to before the end of the program. But most of the world is going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter right up in the arms of this world governing body, the world religious system, and the mark of the beast. So getting back to Oppenheimer, even before the end of the war, 1945, world government advocacy had become a prominent feature in the political conversation in America. In 1943, the businessman and Republican presidential candidate, Wendell Wilkie. He published a book called One World. Now this is, this is before the establishment of the United Nations, folks. This is two years before the signing of the Charter, United Nations Charter. The book sold one and a half million copies in the four months following its release, and it played a key role in this kind of like a blossoming world federation advocacy long before virtually anyone had heard of anything like an atomic bomb. So it goes beyond the, the atomic bomb mindset, okay, of Oppenheimer. However, to choose but one example, an organization known as the Student Federalists. They, they was founded in 1942 by this a charismatic 16-year-old boy named Harris Wolford. Over the next several years, it formed 367 chapters on high school and college campuses around the country. Now, this is back in uh, 1942, 43, in there. Well, Wolford went on to become a United States citizen. I'm sorry, a United States senator and a key civil rights aide in the White House of President John F. Kennedy. Then in 1945, the year the war, World War II ended, just a few months before the Trinity test, came Emory Reeves, The Anatomy of Peace. And while Wilkie's book was a kind of like a, a travelogue describing his voyage around the world, Reeves was an extended logical argument that only law could create peace and only a world federa federation of kind of like a union of nations with a government taking care of issues that could not be handled on at the national level could create meaningful law that applied to individuals rather than governments. Indeed, Oppenheimer's passage could have easily been a summary of Reeves' book, advocating for this world governing body. And that, if you look at throughout over the last, let's say, 100 years, with the League of Nations and with, the, with world government, 
to all these crises around the world. You notice the international community now, the, the United Nations, the World Health Organization, they've always got a crisis. Without a crisis, they don't, they, there's no reason for their existence. Okay? But with a crisis, then they want, every, they want to create these crises like this, the COP28, Conference of Parties, this big United Nations climate uh, meeting that's coming up over the next couple weeks. That's all based on an absolute, complete hoax. Climate crisis. There is no climate crisis. But yet they've got to have a crisis, so even if there isn't one, they'll create one because they're trying to redistribute the wealth of the world, push socialism ideologies throughout the world, and that's really what's going on here. So in, the, in times of crisis, what do they want you to do? Lord, we have a crisis. Please help us. No, they don't want you looking to God. They want you looking to government. That's the whole goal here. Bigger government. More crises, we need bigger government. A global crisis, we need a global government. Okay? Now, it is worth noting that both of these books were published before the United Nations Charter was more than just a draft. And it was eventually signed on, the Charter was signed on uh, June 26, 1945, less than a month before the Trinity Test. The activism that they inspired attempted to make the UN something more than uh, an um, agglomeration of sovereign states that could sign treaties with each other, but in the end were subject to no law worthy of the name. They didn't like that. Sovereignty meant that no state could be compelled to do anything it didn't want to do. And treaties could only be enforced by sanctions or war, not through legal action against individuals. Citizens and various organizations uh, could also take the government to court if it is not properly carrying out its functions, as they can in the United States. So this is really what's going on. This is in the, this is in the mind of these guys back in the the um, early to mid 40s, a lot of these guys, a lot of Oppenheimer's peers advocated for a world, world governing body. It was sweeping across, the talk was sweeping around the world. Now, it wasn't just books. Uh, beloved children's book author and um, New York editor E.B. White devoted a great many of his editorials to the problems of global anarchy and these were later collected and published in a book called The Wild Flag, editorials from the New Yorker on federal world government and other matters. So, you can see that there are many people that were advocating for a world government, world government, world government, not just to control the atomic weapons that were being created, but for any type of crisis, anything, they wanted the world body to look to this world government. And boy, has it come to, they're realizing it right now. And the Bible says there is going to be one, a fully one in the next the future. Time show, you're getting early access to Christmas deals starting right now. Do you remember that feeling you had as a kid during the holidays? What experiences and gifts would you receive this year? 
Well, the atmosphere at End Time is nearly the same. We're excited because these deals are now available through the end of 2023. Why are we so thrilled? Because we know these resources transform lives and that's even more fun than Christmas, especially in these tough times. For the remainder of 2023, you can get deals like a special VIP group video call with Dave Robbins when you get Understanding the End Time. End Time Plus subscription for 50% off, or my personal favorite, a $10 and under sale for almost 100 different products featuring Irvin Baxter, Dave Robbins, and more. Go to endtime.com slash deals for a full catalog of items. You can also call 800 End Time. Hurry, supplies are limited. Go to endtime.com slash deals today. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be in a location near you. You know, everyone, many of you will recognize the next guy I'm going to bring up. Saturday Review Editor, all these guys were talking about world government, world government, world government. It wasn't just Oppenheimer. But Saturday Review Editor Norman Cousins, upon reading about Hiroshima, he wrote a lengthy editorial for his magazine titled, uh, Modern Man is Obsolete, that passionately argued for immediate democratic world federation. And Cousins wrote that there is no need to talk of the difficulties in the way of world government. There is need only to ask if we can afford to do without it. And of course, he was the one that Walter Cronkite ended up working with, and he's the one that talked about, I'm happy to sit here at the right hand of Satan. Many of you have heard that speech that we played. Well, that was because Walter Cronkite was receiving the Norman Cousins Award for every, all of his efforts advocating for a world governing body. And so Norman Cousins, all these guys were working with the World Federalist Association and Walter Cronkite was in on it up to his eyeballs, folks. Well, in a similar vein, a guy named Walter Lippmann, a founder of both the New Republic magazine and the Council on Foreign Relations, and a key player um, later in the Cuban Missile Crisis, he wrote in 1946, there are few in any country who now believe that war can be regulated or outlawed by the ordinary treaties among sovereign states. He said it's not even possible. No one can prove what will be the legislative, executive, and judicial organs of the world state, but there are ideas that shake the world, such as the ideal of a union of mankind under universal law. These guys are advocating world government, world government, one right after another. Even General Hap Arnold, the only U.S. Air Force officer ever to hold the rank of five stars, and he was the founder of the Rand Corporation, he said in 1946, the greatest need facing the world today is for international control of the human forces that make for war. 
The atom bomb, he declared, presents a tremendous argument for a world organization that will eliminate conflict. We must make an end to all wars for good. Now, this was originally how the United Nations was established, right? That any kind of a, this, this world uh, nuclear or atomic bomb situation, any war situation, we've got to end that. So we'll create the United Nations where everybody will come together and talk out their differences rather than going to war. But that's not how it's going to end up. Remember, Alger Hiss, who was a communist spy, was the architect of the United Nations Charter. And so it was created from the very beginning to be a world governing body. So all of these guys, back during that era, they were advocating world government, world government, world government. Before the end of the decade, in the, in the late 40s, more than 50,000 Americans had joined the United World Federalist. And led for three years by a man, uh, a bright young guy named Alan Cranston, who went on to serve as four-term U.S. Senator in California. The UWF, the United World Federalist, uh, has continued its operations to this very day and is now known as the Citizens for Global Solutions. And you can look that up on the internet. Go to their website, the Citizens for Global Solutions. It, advocating for world government. I mean, they've got article after article after article. I've got books, or I have, well, I know of one book that I have that it was put, I might have more than one, but I've got one of their latest books uh, that they put out, The Citizens for Global Solutions. So a number of physicists also came to support world federalization. Um, there was uh, one guy said that the conflicts in interest between great powers can be expected to arise in the future, and there is no world authority in existence that can adjudicate the case and enforce the decision. Uh, I think Leo Silzard, Szilard, uh, who first received, who first conceived the nuclear chain reaction, said that. But humanity had at its disposal, he insisted, the solution of the problem of permanent peace. The issue that we face that we have to face is not whether we can create a world government, but whether we can have such a world government without going through a third world war. Now, pause. You guys understand what the guy is saying is very prophetic. The Bible prophesies a World War III, doesn't it? Revelation 9, verse 13 through 21, which will lead to a fully functioning world government and be the entrance ramp for the Antichrist. Now, you understand what's going on here. This guy said, well, we, after World War I, we had the League of Nations, that failed. After World War II, the United Nations. But this guy just said, we don't have the world governing body that we really want. Are we going to have to go through a World War III to finally get that? That's what he's saying here. Well, guess what? That's exactly what's going to happen. On the heels of World War III, that's the entrance ramp for the Antichrist, folks. We're going to move into a fully functioning world governing body. Look at how all these guys were preaching what they were preaching back when the United Nations was established. To end war, we've got to have a world government to end the threat of war. Well, guess what the next great reset's going to be in the world? It's not going to be the climate crisis. These guys are all wasting their time. It's going to be a world war. It's coming. It's prophesied in the Bible, and it's coming, folks.
So the you guys would know the next part, the um, the most prominent and most active proponent of world government among many of the scientists was Albert Einstein. I mean, he had always opposed nationalism and supported world federation, world federation, uh, that it was a, a natural extension. Einstein wrote articles, gave interviews, and helped found the Emergency Committee of Atomic Scientists. The student federalist of Princeton, New Jersey, held meetings in his living room, and he served as the founding advisory board chair of the United World Federalists. Yes, Albert Einstein did. So, the type of world government that Einstein promoted would exclusively have power over security issues and few internal circumstances that could lead to war. But this kind of limited world government was a must in their mind. A, 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 uh, he said, a new kind of thinking is essential if mankind is to survive and move to higher levels. He said, often in evolutionary processes, a species must adapt to new conditions in order to survive. In light of, a, in light of new knowledge, an eventual world state is not just desirable in the name of brotherhood, it is necessary for survival. Now, in all of these guys' mind, they're not looking to God. Anybody who wants a world governing body is not looking to God for any of the answers. God is the only answer to true peace. Period. I'm going to say that again. God is the only answer to true peace. You cannot have a world government that can dictate to nations. They yield up their sovereignty to a world governing body and finally have true peace. It will never work like that. God didn't design it to work like that. God did not, remember the Tower of Babel, God did not want mankind ruling themselves and God, they, they, they messed stuff up. They didn't want them coming together in a one world government and a one world religious system. When they had problems, God wanted them to depend upon Him because He knew that inevitably there has to be one guy at the top or one group of individuals at the top. And power corrupts, right? But absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so, there you have it. When you have a world governing body, somebody's always got to be in control. And throughout the thousands of years, that individual, as a rule, has not been a very nice person. They become dictatorial. Well, guess what? There's another one coming. The Bible refers to him as the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition. Okay? So, Oppenheimer's focus in the post-war years was more near-term. He worked for international control of nuclear matters, both weapons and civilian reactors that could be used to make weapons. But that international control was to take the form of an agency with a strict monopoly on such activities. In uh, his 1946 New York Times magazine piece says about the plan that it proposes that in the field of atomic energy there be set up a world government. That in this field there be a, a renunciation of national sovereignty. Now, people 
yielding up their national sovereignty, that in this field there would be no legal veto power. Of course, we have the UN Security Council veto power. Imagine what the United Nations would be today if the five victor nations of World War II could not veto though on the UN Security Council, people uh, couldn't veto that. And there are people trying to abolish that veto power as we speak. They want the United Nations to be able to dictate, to have an international law, to be able to dictate to the nations. They yield up their sovereignty. Only because of the UN Security Council veto power do we have the power to veto any of those resolutions. Other than that, we would never have been able to, other than militarily, we would never have been able to protect Israel from the United Nations. We've used our UN Security Council veto power over and over and over throughout the years to protect Israel. And so Oppenheimer went on to say that in this field there has to be international law. Well, American citizens signed a Declaration of Independence, Mr. Oppenheimer. We did not sign on to a Declaration of Interdependence. We do not want to be ruled by any entity, foreign. We set up a government, but the, our government of the United States is supposed to be of the people, for the people, and by the people. That's why you have an election. Because if somebody's doing something that the people don't want, you get them out of office and you elect somebody in there that, that you want. But when the election is compromised, then what do you do? Go sit in the corner and pout, right? No. We're going to trust God. You can't take God out of the equation. So, why would what Oppenheimer is saying here, why would that be significant? I mean, in a lengthier article published in 1946 in the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist, Oppenheimer said, The problem that we are dealing with in seeking to prevent atomic war is the problem of the elimination of war. Proposals for addressing nuclear issues were to be judged on whether they, were, they also advanced this goal, but the article was titled, The Atom Bomb as a Great Force for Peace. Not because of the simplistic or um, and banal argument that the bomb would make war too horrible to contemplate, but because its control would lay the foundation, whoever controlled that would lay the foundation for a world government that truly could abolish war. Now, this is all in theory. I mean, think about this. We've got nuclear weapons. The United States and Russia control 90% of the nuclear weapon ar arsenal on the planet. But have there been any wars since the United Nations was created? Yeah, absolutely. We're in war right now, and the United Nations can't do anything to stop it. So right now it's a paper tiger. But folks, on the backside of World War III, that's all going to change. And that's exactly what these guys were talking about back in the 40s. A voice spoke to me and said, I've got something I want to show you. I was so sure God had talked to me. And I was stunned by what I saw. A direct fulfillment of this over 2,500-year-old prophecy. The United States will stand with Israel. Why haven't I ever seen this before? One-third of humanity will die. What do these beasts symbolize? The lion, the bear, the leopard. 
The combined beast from Revelation 13 represents the end time government of the Antichrist. Understanding the end time. Now streaming on End Time Plus and available to order at endtime.com slash UET. Go to endtime.com slash UET or call 800 End Time. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself. You are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is. That's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. back everybody but before I dive off into the rest of this let me mention ready pantry because you understand here that there is a world government being established many different things are happening this cop 28 that's coming up that this climate crisis guess what they're wanting to deal with food they're wanting to control they're saying that the people in America are eating too much meat they're wanting to control the food that we consume and to reduce that and uh, we got to eat plant-based this that and the other and I mean they'll do everything they can they'll mess with supply chains they're messing with our farmers they're messing with all kinds of stuff and so there are Americans you know we'd love to know we'd love to know that hey I can go to the grocery store I always have been my whole life I can go to the grocery store and get whatever I want but we've seen over over the last couple years that supply chains can quickly collapse many things could happen Food supplies could diminish. And, but what about, you need some peace of mind, right? Now, I trust God, but I still wear a seatbelt, right? There's nothing wrong with preparing. What if there was a way you could have an affordable three, six, nine, 12 month supply of food? Be pretty nice, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to have that sitting back in your closet or in, down in your basement. And that if something went kind of awry a little bit, maybe there was a couple, two or three months where you needed to go hit that. And readypantry.com slash end time, they offer amazing 25-year shelf-stable foods. I've had people actually ask me, is there anything wrong with storing up some food? I'm like, no, why? There's nothing wrong with that for any kind of a catastrophe. So these shelf-stable foods, that you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It gives you kind of a peace of mind knowing you have this emergency supply of food. In case anything would happen, a power outage, hurricane, grid collapses, I mean... Um, rolling blackouts. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So Ready Pantry, again, it's an American-based company. They're not a woke company. I met, I met the guys that's over all of them the other day. And they're sourced, all of their products are sourced right here in America. And they're, they're not going to give you food that's been on the shelves for months and months and months and even sometimes years. They don't do that. Ready Pantry 
delivers the freshest products right to your door. Things that are packaged within the last few months. And they offer discounts of up to 20% off for 3 to 12 month supplies. Go to readypantry.com slash endtime. Use code endtime. Save an additional 10% off. And it's always free shipping. You can also uh, buy, you can also take advantage of their buy now, pay later options. Um, so just, you go to the checkout by going to readypantry.com slash endtime. Check out all their deals. It's pretty cool. Now, back to these guys that were pushing for world government. There was a guy named Edward Teller. And the articles say that he was accurately portrayed in the Oppenheimer movie. But he was pushing for the development of the immensely more destructive hydrogen bombs and eventually undercutting his colleague at the security hearings, appearing to embrace the idea. In 1948, he discussed the preliminary draft of a world constitution. Not the Constitution of the United States, but a world constitution written by a committee of eminent scholars chaired by the Chancellor of the University of Chicago. His name was uh, Robert, <coughs> Robert Maynard Hudgens. And it was aimed at establishing a federal republic of the world. These guys are deadly serious. And Teller said about this enterprise, he said, America's present necessarily task of opposing Russia should not cause us to forget that in the long run, we cannot win by working against something. Instead, we must work for something. We must work for world government. And in his 1948 Foreign Affairs article, again, Oppenheimer, he's still pushing this. He said, if the atomic bomb was to have meaning in the contemporary world, it would have to be in showing that not modern man, not navies, and not ground forces, but war itself was obsolete. So at the end of this essay, Oppenheimer returned to the noble aspirations that so many held in the shattering initial weeks after Trinity, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. They said the aim of those who would work for the establishment of peace must be to maintain what was sound in the early hopes and by all the means in, in their power to look at their eventual realization. It is necessarily denied to us in these days to see at what time that what immediate ends, in what context and in what manner of world we may return again to the great issues touched by the international control of atomic energy. But this is seed that we take with us traveling to a land we cannot see to plant new soil. They're talking about a world governing body here. And should so the question is, should we consider all of this just a mere historical curiosity? I mean, why do we care, right? Is anything about these conversations what, eight, eight decades ago, is it relevant to the challenges in the 21st century? As politically unlikely as it might now appear, might something like a genuine world republic provide humanity with the kinds of tools it will require to get a grip on existential perils like, your, like this, this climate emergency that everybody's being sold on? Even though there isn't one, it's a dreamed up hoax, you guys. 
If the, if the earth, they say, well, we're going to raise, I, heard, I heard, read the other day where John Kerry said, if we do this with the, 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 our food and everything continue, this food consumption like it is, meat consumption, because of the farmers and everything they have to do to raise the cattle and the ranchers and everything, we're going to raise the temperature half a degree. So what? Do you realize, read all the articles, do your research. The warmer the climate, now, not if we were to warm up and burn up, and that's, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. The Bible says as long as the earth is here, there will be planting and harvest and uh, spring, summer, winter, and fall. It's not going to happen. However, if you look at all of these things, if, if, the, um, if you look at all the research, the warmer the climate bumps up, the more greening there is around the world. It's actually beneficial. Sunlight and the, the plants flourish because carbon dioxide is plant food. Remember your old uh, biology class in high school. All you guys that um, back when they taught things correctly in high school. Now, I'm sure they still do teach some things today, but I'm just saying back then I knew that CO2, carbon dioxide, the things that humans exhale, that's plant food. Now, these guys are trying to make everything carbon-free. Now, that's an existential threat. It's, it's, it's absurdity. So, you can think of these, um, you know, existential perils, they say, like climate emergency or uh, runaway artificial intelligence. And who knows what kinds of new weapons of mass extermination that the heirs to Oppenheimer's mind will almost surely invent in the decades and the centuries to come. So there are, there are guys that say, you know, the best possible answer to this, uh, some would say was given by China's um, Zhu and Li back in 71. They, he was asked by Henry Kissinger, what he thought about the consequences of this French Revolution. And Zeus said, man, the story goes they, that he considered the question for a moment, and then he said, you know what? I think it's too soon to tell. And that, that's kind of what a lot of people, a lot of people are just like, you know, Dave, I just don't really know. I don't know if there's a world governing body going to happen. <clears throat> but I'm telling you, folks, it's been being established for decades and decades and decades. There, one of the prophecies for telling a world government in the times just ahead. It's found in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7. There were four beasts that, that Daniel saw. And really quickly, there was, he saw a lion with eagle's wings, a bear, four-headed leopard, and a ten-horned beast. 650 years later, John writes the book of Revelation, and he says, hey, those, those four beasts, other than the eagle's wings, those four beasts federalize into a world-governing body. The Bible says when the healing of the deadly wound, the tearing down of the Berlin Wall, we know that now, that when the Berlin Wall is torn down, those two, the two Germanys would reunite and that would be the catalyst that would launch us into a new world order. The Bible says the healing of the deadly wound, that once that happens, all the world would wonder after the beast. And that's exactly what happened. The Berlin Wall was torn down, the two Germanys reunited, the, the um, George H.W. Bush, Gorbachev, and... Pope John Paul II came out of their meetings 19 days later uh, talking about the new world order. And the world's wondering after that as we speak, folks. And on the heels of a World War III, remember the, the, the 
One guy I talked about earlier, he said, man, are we going to have to go to a World War III before we fully realize this world governing body? This is crazy. Well, that's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. These people have to have a crisis. If there's no crisis, then we don't need the uh, United Nations. We don't need them anyway. We don't need a, a World Health Organization. We don't need these international uh, organizations. Let each nation get on a phone call with each other and figure stuff out. And again, until Jesus Christ comes, there's not going to be peace. There is not going to be peace. They can sign as many peace agreements as they want. But until Jesus Christ comes, the Antichrist is going to be fighting battles all the way up to the Battle of Armageddon. The Bible says he's going to face resistance all the way through. This is why it's important for us to understand the prophecies of the Bible. I wanted you to hear this today because a lot of people simply don't understand one of the most critical political topics in the election coming up. It's, it's, the, it's the, one of the most political, critical political topics in our world today. The process of globalism and versus nationalism. Mr. Presidential Candidate, whoever you are, DeSantis, uh, Ramaswamy, um, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, whoever, will you push us into world government, the United States of America, or will you lop off the tentacles of that big octopus sitting in New York City called the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the World Trade Organization, the World Bank, the International Criminal Court? We don't want them ruling any of us. We are free United States citizens. And I want to remain free. I want to be able to do whatever I want. There are laws that control people from doing things that are unlawful, but I don't need a foreign entity doing that. That's what the Declaration of Independence was all about, folks. So at the end of the day, I'm trusting God. God will help us get through it, but we're still living in the end times. We want you to understand them. God bless.